Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. That's where we're going to wind up looking at that verses, those verses this morning. You know, it doesn't take much of a genius to realize that we are living in some difficult days. We're living in some difficult times. Just even a casual observer would say it looks pretty bad. Uh, These past two weeks have brought out some of the worst in us as individuals, as people, uh, as people drawing lines in the sand and, and calling people names and insulting people no matter what they do. And it doesn't look like it's getting any better, especially as, you know, the first Tuesday of November rolls around. Uh, it, it could lead somebody to be pessimistic. It, it could lead somebody to say, who do we trust? You know, how can, we, how can we live in the midst of these uncertain times, these times of difficulty? How can we live through that? There's basically three ways you can live life. One, you can just choose to endure it. You just go through the motions. You don't do anything, you just kind of walk through it like a zombie. You just endure life. Many people, don't, they don't endure life, they try to escape life. And what they do is that they, surround, they drown themselves in alcohol or drugs or any other form of addiction. Many of them even resort to suicide to try to escape life. So you can endure life, you can escape life. There's a third thing you can do. You can choose to enjoy life. I hope that's where you are. I hope you're the kind of person that wants to enjoy life and live life to the fullest. I believe most people want to enjoy life. I know there's some that are out there, they endure it. I know there's some that try to escape it. But I believe most people want to endure life. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, whoever would love life and see good days. Whoever would love life and see good days. I want you to focus one minute on the word would. Whoever would love life and see good days. That word would means it's a choice that you can make. Whoever would choose to love life and see good days. It's a choice that we make. Everything we make in life comes down to a choice. Even if you decide not to choose, you've made a choice. Everything we do comes down to a choice. And Peter is saying that we can choose to love life. We, we can choose to live a life full of love. This morning we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17 under the heading, How to Love Life. You follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read it this morning. Peter says, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The first thing you see in this passage is to love life, have a proper relationship with others. To love life, have a proper relationship with others. We have to have, know how to properly relate to people. Now, Peter starts off talking about believers. You know, as believers, we have a unique love. Uh, we have something that the world doesn't have. Uh, we, we have a unique love. We have, the, we have uh, certain things that, that bond us together. We have been adopted into the kingdom of God. We are His sons. We are His daughters. We have the same Lord. We have the same spirit. We have the same baptism. We have the same gospel. We have the same faith. We have a lot in common. Uh, he says, that's who we are as, as the people of God. And because we're people of God, because we, we have this relationship with believers, there are certain attitudes and there are certain actions that we ought to demonstrate toward one another. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. He's talking about believers. He says, all of you. He doesn't say some of you. He doesn't say a good portion of you. He doesn't say uh, 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 many of you. He says all of you live in harmony with one another. He's talking about unity. He's talking about live in unity with one another. A oneness of purpose. A oneness of mind. Now I want you to hear something on this passage. That doesn't mean that you sacrifice your individuality. Notice what Peter says. He says live in harmony. When we think of that word harmony, we think of a choir that gets together. You know, in a choir, they all sing a song. You know, first you have the, have the sopranos. Everybody's jealous of the sopranos because they get the easy part. They sing the melody. You got the sopranos. But then you add to that, you add the altos, you add the tenors, and you add the basses. They sing parts, which is called harmony. They're harmonizing with the melody. By so doing, each one of them is singing the exact same song, but they bring in their unique traits, their unique talents, to make a beautiful song that we all would enjoy. Harmony. It doesn't mean you give up who you are as an individual, but it's for the sake of harmony, for the sake of unity, you come together to accomplish a common goal, a common purpose. Oneness of mind, oneness of purpose, oneness of spirit, oneness of message, unity. But it not only says we all live in harmony, he also says be sympathetic. He said when he used that word sympathy, he means suffering with another individual. Uh, entering into the experiences with them and, and, and enjoying that. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says it this way, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In order to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, you're going to have to enter into the experiences with them. It, it means that, that you're going to have to take an active interest in someone's life. It means you're going to have to, there's going to have to be a willingness to surrender your independence so that you can walk with another individual and be sympathetic toward them. We're not good at that. We don't want to give up our independence. We don't want to give up our, our, our time. But we're going to have to do that. It's, it's good when you, when you join with someone. It doesn't mean that you might, you're going to fix their problems. 
but it means that you're there for them. Now, if you give a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, maybe a comforting word. Now, if you can fix their problem, that's, that's great. But it doesn't mean you fix their problems. It means you're entering into it with them and you're having sympathy for them. Not only does he say that, he says, we live in harmony, we be sympathetic, we love as brothers. He's talking about the love we have in unity with Christ. Uh, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. This is what Jesus said. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says the identifying mark of the church, the identifying mark of believers is their love for one another. He goes, it's by that that people are going to know that we're followers of Jesus, by the way we love one another. You learn to love life when you learn to love those in the church. So it says we've got to be in harmony, we've got to be unified, we've got to be sympathetic, we've got to love as brothers. Next he says we are to be compassionate. Be compassionate means to be tender-hearted. It's, you know, life has a way of hardening your heart. Life has a way of, of doing things that make it difficult for you. And you're going to have to be compassionate. You're going to be at the tender-hearted to other individuals. I remember in one church where I served as a pastor, and I know y'all are going to find this very strange to believe, there was a lady in the church that did not like my particular style of leadership. I, I know y'all find that hard to believe. And, and, so, and, and she made it her, her mission in life to give me a hard time. And so, uh, you know, but she, had, when she had a major surgery in a hospital two hours away. So I made it a point to drive down there two hours away and visited with her in the hospital. I loved on her. I prayed with her. I talked with her quite some time. It did not change her attitude about me one bit. But you see, that's the thing about being compassionate. Compassion says so you be compassionate whether they deserve it or not. You be compassionate whether you want to do it or not. It says be compassionate. Be compassionate. Demonstrate. Show compassion to those individuals. He says not only are we to have unified, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate. He also says be humble. Here's what it means. Don't think more highly of yourself than you are. I got news for you. Jesus does not love you better than he loves the person that's sitting next to you. Jesus does not love you better than he does the person outside these walls. He's an equal opportunity lover. Let's put it that way, all right? So, so don't think that you might be his favorite because you're not. Jesus loves all of us the exact same way. So don't think too highly of yourself. Those are the characteristics. Those are the attitudes we are to have amongst believers. And, and so now he, he shifts it away. And now he shifts it away not just from believers, but he said this is the way you, you demonstrate have proper relationship with unbelievers. Now, stop and think about it. As he talks about unbelievers, that doesn't mean we can, we can demonstrate these to believers. Uh, we can demonstrate the opposite to the believers. We still put this on the umbrella of believers, but there's a different way we relate to those who are unbelievers. Look at verse, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Here's what he's saying. Don't retaliate against people who treat you bad. Uh, don't don't, don't get back at those individuals. Now, you know what our normal tendency is. We talk about this all the time. Our normal tendency is to get even. 
Our normal tendency is to get back at those who hurt us, who harm us, who say bad things about us. That's our normal reaction. So Peter is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, don't do that. When an unbeliever out there attacks you and they come at you, don't retaliate with them by giving, them, giving it back at them. Don't retaliate with evil or with insult. Don't do that. If you want to love life and see good days, don't retaliate. Uh, uh, Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs chapter 25, 21 through 22 says this. If your enemy is hungry, give them food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Here's what he's saying. The writer of Proverbs is saying, look, when somebody treats you bad, when somebody says all manner of evil things against you, smother him with love. Smother him with kindness. Smother him with goodness. Smother him with grace. And by so doing, what you're doing, you go, oh, they're starting feeling bad about it. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm treating this guy so bad. Shower them with kindness. That's what he's saying. And by so doing, you actually are heaping condemnation on them because then they start feeling bad about the way they're treating you when they realize you're not the way that they thought you were. And then Peter goes on and he gives a quote from Psalm 34. Verse 10 says this, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. We all know that words hurt. When you say something unkind to someone else, or they say something unkind to you, we know that words hurt. We've all said things we don't like. I remember I read a book one time called Hardwiring for Excellence. In the book it says, for every negative word you hear, it takes three positive words to overcome the one negative. So every time a child hears that word, well, you're good for nothing, that parent has to say three positive things to reinforce that. We know that words hurt. We know that sometimes we say things that we shouldn't say. This is not just with non-believers. It ought to be the same way with believers. We should never say anything about a fellow, uh, a brother or sister in Christ that would hurt them, that would harm them. Verse 11, he gives a description of turning from evil. Look what he says. He must turn from evil and do good. I love this passage. He said, you must turn from evil. We say it's a deliberate action. You make a deliberate decision to turn from evil and go another way. But I love the way, what else it says. It's not just enough to turn from evil. What do you got to do? You got to choose good. You got to choose good. You got to turn from evil and do good. Notice he didn't say just turn from evil and think about good. Contemplate about good. Brainstorm about good or form a committee and talk about it. He says, no, you turn from evil and you do what? You do good in the place of what is evil. Listen, we have a lot of people in the world that do not do evil. Amen? We do. There's a lot of people, even those who do not know Jesus, they do a lot. Uh, that They don't do any evil. But guess what? They don't do anything good either. And, and what Peter is saying, it's not enough to avoid evil. You must do good. You must do that. That's what he's telling us in this passage. And then verse 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. He's saying, God wants you to know, so, I mean, if you're out there and you're living a righteous life, God is hearing your prayers. He's not turning a deaf ear. Now, I know what you think. 
Well, it doesn't seem like God's going to answer my prayers. Well, just think how bad it would be if he didn't. You never know how God is answering your prayers. He's attentive to your prayers. In verse 13, he goes back and he ties it back in to verse 11. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? You see the connection there? He said, you're turning from evil, you do good. Now, who's going to harm you if you choose to do good instead of doing evil? Generally speaking, people are not going to get upset with you if you do what is good. There's always an exception to the rule. But generally speaking, people are not going to do evil to you if you're doing good. So this is what we need to do. To, to love life, we have to have a proper relationship with others, those in the church and those outside the church. Second truth, to love life, live under the Lordship of Christ. Look at verse 15. He said, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Now, I was troubled by this verse. Can I just admit that to y'all? Because when I read this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. When I said that, it made me think, maybe, you know, how can I set part Christ apart in my heart? How can I set him apart as Lord? Because in order for me to set something apart, it means that I might not set something apart. This looks like an action that I have to take. I have to set him apart. In other words, Peter's saying he didn't just automatically become Lord until you make a, an effort to set him apart as Lord. And it made me wonder, how many times in my own life have I not set Christ apart as Lord? I tried to live the Christian life in my own strength, in my own power, in my own ability. It made me think, how many times do you do that in your own life? You go through the motions of Christian activity in your own strength, in your own power, in your own ability, because you haven't set Christ apart as Lord in your life. But he says, but if we're going to live, if we're going to love life, and we're going to see good days, guess what? We've got to set Christ apart as Lord. We've got to set Him apart as Lord in our hearts. Many of you fail in your Christian life because you've not made Him Lord of your life. Many of you failed. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 35. This is what He says. If anyone would come after me, let's stop right there. If anyone would, you notice that would? It's a choice. It's a choice that you make. If anyone would choose to come after me, he what? He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. I want you to hang on to that last part. This is not even in my manuscript. I saw this today, just reading on my notes one more time. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel. The gospel. Let me tell you something, folks. You know what unites us as a church? Yes, Jesus Christ unites us. The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. That's what Jesus says. If you will lose your life for him and the gospel, guess what? You will save it. And I, and I know there's a tendency within churches today. There's a tendency within the churches today to love Jesus 
but we don't love the gospel. Because the gospel is good news for those who are perishing. And so what Jesus is telling us, He said, if you're going to love me, you're going to love my news, and you're going to make sure, you're going to make sure that you fall in love with the gospel so that people can hear the gospel. We have to understand that. We have to fall in love with Jesus, make Him Lord of our life. It's a deliberate choice that we make, and we choose to make Him Lord of our life, and we fall in love with the gospel. The gospel. I love the way Jesus says it in that verse. He, he says that you have to deny yourself. In other words, he says, he says you have to come after me, is what the passage says in that Mark passage. He says, you must would come after he was he any would come after me come after me let me ask you a question are you chasing after Jesus are you pursuing Jesus are you going after him with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your mind are you chasing after Jesus he said if you would follow him you're gonna go after him you're gonna go after him with everything that you have are you chasing him down do you have the desire to go after Jesus? That's what it means to set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Every day of your life, you wake up and say, I'm setting Jesus apart as Lord. He's going to have control of my life. He's going to dictate what I do. He's going to dictate what I say. Setting Him apart as Lord. Now, for some of you, you're having a problem here. Because you can't set apart Jesus as Lord if you've never accepted Him as your Savior. I'm not talking about your relationship to the church. I'm talking about your relationship to the Savior of the church. I'm talking about your relationship to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you've got to admit that you are a sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that all of our righteous acts are like filthy deeds. He said, no one is righteous, not even one. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. Because if you don't admit that you're a sinner, you can't take the next step, which is believe in Jesus Christ. You've got to admit you're a sinner. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ paid your price for your sins. Peter said it this way in chapter 3, verse 24. He said, he himself, talking about Jesus, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So you got to admit that you're a sinner. you got to believe in Jesus Christ that he died for your sins. And then once you admit and once you believe, then you ought to commit your life to Christ as Lord and Savior life. And the Bible says after you've admitted, after you believe, and after you've committed your life to Christ, you become a child of God. The Holy Spirit enters into you to enable you to live the kind of life that He's called you to live. And guess what? Then you can set apart Christ as Lord. It's only when you do that that He really becomes Lord of your life. And once you do that, after you admitted you're a sinner, you believed in Jesus, and you committed your life to Him, guess what? Then you will love life, and you will see good days ahead. One more truth. To love life, do what is right. Look at verse 15 again. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This phrase is a natural continuation of the Lordship of Christ. 
Once Jesus is in control of your life, it's easy to do what is right with your lips. It's easy to talk about someone that you love and is important in your life. He's saying, do what's right with your words. Look, you are going to talk about those you love. How I many you have children? You're going to talk about your children, right? But really, you're going to talk about your grandchildren, right? How many of you have grandchildren? Do you love your grandchildren? Do you talk about them? Yeah, you see what I'm saying? You talk about the ones you love. If you have Jesus in your heart, guess what? It's natural to talk about Him because you love Him. We don't have any problem talking about our children. We don't have any problem talking about our grandchildren. Why is it we have such hard problems to talk about Jesus? Why is that? Peter says, you are to always be ready. You are to always be ready to talk about Jesus. You are to always be ready to talk about this hope that you have down deep inside of you. We should never hesitate to share the hope we have in Christ. Let me ask you a question. If someone asked you how to have a relationship with Jesus, could you answer them? Or would you say, Let's go get the preacher. He'll tell you. That's not biblical. It's not, that's not what this passage says. Let me ask you another question. Has anyone ever asked you how to have a relationship with Jesus? Why not? Why not? I'm not here to heap condemnation upon you. I'm just trying to be biblical. I'm just trying to be biblical. The Bible says once you set apart Jesus as Lord in your life, the natural outflow of that is you can't help but talking about Him. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. So a natural outflow of the Lordship of Christ is speaking properly about Him. You know why most people cannot share their love for Christ with others? They're not under the Lordship of Jesus. They're not under the Lordship of Christ. Look at verse 15 again in context. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready because you have Christ in your heart. He's saying a right relationship with Jesus leads to a proper response with your lips. He even tells us how to do it. And I love this part. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And then he adds, if you add this words of Paul in Colossians 4 verse 6, Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Peter is saying, and Paul is saying, you know, when it comes to sharing your faith, don't be, don't be rude and don't be insensitive. Some people think what you have to do to t- share somebody with Christ, you get a big old King James Bible and you pop them over the head with it. I'm going to lead you to Jesus. I'm going to hit them over the head with it. That's not what he says. Uh, that's not the way that we are to do it. Listen, you can woo more people to Christ than you can bully people to Christ. You know what? Uh, not that we're trying to, to gather flies, but you know you gather more flies of honey than you do of vinegar, okay? Well, guess what? what the, well, the Bible says 
God says His Word is like honey on my lips. So when you speak, use words of honey, not words of vinegar, not words of venom, is what He says. If you will live for the Lord, and you will have a consistent Christian life, then when the time comes for you to share the hope that you have in Christ, you will be able to do so in a loving and caring way. But not only do you do what is right with your words, you also ought to do what is right with your deeds. Look at verse 16, or verse 15. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who, who, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Notice that phrase, good behavior. He's talking about living a life that reflects Jesus. If you are not living the kind of life, then you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Hear me on that. If you're not living the kind of life that honors Jesus, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. But if you are living the kind of life that honors Jesus, guess what? It will shame others. Isn't that something? If you don't live a life, you shame yourself. But if you live a life, it shames others. We bring shame to them. Where you at? How you doing? You want to love life? You want to love life? He tells us how to do it. He says, make sure you have the proper behavior with other people. Make sure you're treating people properly. Those inside the church and those outside the church. Believers and non-believers. Make sure you're treating them properly. Second, man, make sure that you every day, every day, you're setting apart Christ as Lord of your life. Every day. Live under the Lordship of Christ. And finally, do what is right. Do what is right verbally and do what is right actively. And if you'll do that, guess what? The Bible says you're going to enjoy life. You're not only going to love life, but you're going to see good days. Good days. This is what the Word of God says to us this morning. Now it's up to you to take these words and apply them to your life in the appropriate way. I can't live it for you. Only you can choose to live the words that have been spoken. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond. Maybe you just need to pray, you know, God, help me to love life and see good days. Lord, help me to make you Lord. Lord, help me to treat one another the proper way. Lord, help me to do what's right in word and in deed. Would you stand with me as Kip comes, leads us? Cassie's going to come and play give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard this morning. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this day that you've given to us. It's a day, Lord, when we can gather in your presence, we can worship you, we can exalt Christ, we can lift your name up so that others can know about you. We pray now, Father, this morning that you would touch our hearts and our minds, Father, that we can appropriate the words that we've heard today to our own lives and live in a way that honors you in everything we do and everything we say. Help us, Father, to love Jesus. Father, help us to love others and treat them appropriately. Father, help us to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts every day. Every day. And Father, let us live out that truth by the words we say and the deeds we do. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.